Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Cloudwater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. Take it away with today's readings. No gloom for those who are in anguish, In the former time, the Lord brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and in the land of Naphtali. But in latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of the Midian. The word of the Lord. A gospel reading from the fourth chapter of Matthew. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in the darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you, my siblings in faith. Uh, on a day like today where we can look out the window and see all the snow, uh, it, it brought back fond memories of hearing this reading about fishing, and I thought about this past summer being on my canoe trip with uh, all these ninth grade boys, and so we, we were in the Boundary Waters, uh, and this was our canoe guide from the Camp, uh, camp Vermilion. As the trip was approaching, the group still had a few openings in it where we could we could add someone. So my my son uh, Finn, who's the short one in this picture, he's a fifth grader. Uh, he was you know he was like, hey, can I go on the trip? And I'm like, no. And then he kept asking, and I kept saying no. And finally, I'm like, well, we have a few spots. So Finn was able to uh, wiggle his way onto this trip, and he was really excited to go on the canoe trip. Uh, Finn did not add any muscle uh, at all on portaging. Or paddling. I mean, zero. However, Finn had one singular purpose to be on this trip. He wanted to fish. Like, literally, this is all he cared about, all he asked about. We got to camp the night before, and he said, hey, can I go fishing? I'm like, no, we got too much other stuff to do. We're not going to go fishing right now. 
we got out to our entry point the next morning, and Finn said, hey, can I go fishing? I'm like, we're in the parking lot. We can't fish in the parking lot, Finn. Finally, we walk down, and we get to the water. He sees water. He's like, well, now can I go fishing? I'm like, we actually have to paddle and do some stuff before we get to our campsite. And once we get to our campsite, then maybe we can go fishing. And of course, this was the trip where uh, the ninth grade boys were really confident in their abilities, and they swamped the canoe like 10 minutes into the trip. So all of our tents and everything got soaked so basically, by the time we got to camp, we had to get everything set out to dry. So he's like, hey, can I go fishing? I'm like, we got some more important things to do right now, Finn. Finally, we got dinner done. We got everything finished. We got all of our stuff ready. And I'm like, Finn, you can go fishing. And so he had a great time. He loved to be able to go fishing. In fact, he was really excited that the rest of the boys on the trip, these ninth graders, all wanted to go fishing too. And so here he is. He's at you know the end of the day. He's still fishing. First one awake in the morning wanting to go fishing. But the cool thing was I was really curious what these ninth grade boys were going to do. How were they going to embrace uh, this little fifth grader on their trip? And so as they went fishing... They really took him in. They're like, wow, Finn, we can teach you some things. They taught him some, some better methods. They taught him some tricks to be able to be a better fisher. And so as he's asking questions, he's learning. And as, you know, as he's casting out and sometimes his, his hook would get snagged, you know, they would throw on their goggles and go get, go get his hook out so he would keep, be able to keep fishing for the rest of the trip. Uh, he was really excited that they were willing to, to teach him and to help him learn. Uh, because I was really curious, how are these ninth grade boys going to respond? Are, are they going to kind of stick together and kind of as a click, or are they going to embrace him? And so as they did this, they were even uh, cheering him on as he was able to finally catch a fish and was so excited about what he was able to, to achieve. And they're, you know, they're like, way to go, Finn, and like uh, totally took him under their wing. It was cool to see that because you know they thought that they were just on a canoe trip. But I could see how these young confirmation students were living out their faith, even though they may not have really thought about it that way. They probably were just like, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to welcome you in. We're going to teach you some things. And they didn't really think anything of it. But this was kind of an expression of their faith. Not that dissimilar from what's going on in the story about Jesus and calling these first disciples. You know, he, he finds them uh, out in the middle of, you know, like on the shores of Galilee, and they're, they're fishing. And when he's gathering up leaders to spread the good news about the coming kingdom of heaven, Jesus definitely has a very unorthodox approach, like a way of trying to gather disciples that I don't think we would necessarily have thought, wow, that made a lot of sense. Because if you're trying to get everybody to know about you, wouldn't you want to like maybe get some of the really distinguished rabbis of the villages? Wouldn't you want to like get some of the, the political leaders to help kind of make your case and help spread the word that way? And Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he, he goes out and he finds ordinary people and says, look, you you are going to be the ones to follow me. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. You are going to be the ones to go out into this world and help tell the good news about the kingdom of heaven. And, and it's kind of a strange way to do it and an unorthodox way to do it, but this is what is effective in Jesus's methods. And it might seem like an easy decision. If Jesus says to you, hey, I want you to come and follow me, I think today we'd be like, yeah, of course, Jesus, I want to follow you. But these guys don't know anything about him. There's no reason. There's no precedent. And so that risk, that step forward to say, yeah, I'm going to put everything behind and I'm going to follow you would have been really, really a change in their lifestyle. You know, think about it. These fishermen, this is their livelihood. This, their families, all of that stuff is at stake. Fishing is what pays their bills. 
you know, they've got contracts with the Roman Empire to be able to say, look, we're going to provide a certain amount of fish and, and some of that income is going to go to you so that, that you're going to be happy with us. And, and it's kind of that deal, right? So like all of a sudden for them to say, we're going to abandon this, there was a huge risk involved. But there was something about Jesus that captivated their attention, something that, that struck their, their curiosities and said, wow, we want to learn some more. We want to follow you. They're willing to leave behind Zebedee, their dad. They're willing to leave behind their boat. They're willing to leave behind their business and follow Jesus. And so what do you think we can learn from that? I wonder what it is that we leave behind when we step into church, whether that's on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night. What are the things that we are saying, we're going to put this behind us, we're just going to focus on on God right now? You know, I wonder if we might enjoy this hour or two of being able to block ourselves out of some of the distractions from the outside world. You know, not have to think about work. You know, we could put our phone away and not have to, like, answer every single text as it's coming through. Maybe it's a chance for us, you know, especially thinking about, like, as as the kids come up for Sunday school, that the kids are then going out and stepping out, and that we can have time and have conversation and be able to spend that time with, uh, with other adults talking about our faith. Maybe your time here is a reminder of kind of like a pump-up moment. Like we can think about the world with some positive eyes and hopeful eyes as we go and we get sent out into the world. You know, church, I, I would argue that church is a place where we are coming together because we see that there's something greater than ourselves. That we're called into this body of Christ knowing that we can accomplish a whole lot more together and that we have a bigger impact when it's more than just ourselves. The origins of that practice really do come from this unusual invitation then by Jesus, where he says that he's going to ask these guys to fish for people. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? What a weird way for us to understand. Yet Jesus is speaking their language. He's like trying to talk to them in a way that they're going to understand. Much like those ninth grade boys were just living out their faith by helping a fifth grader fish, this is a similar way that Jesus is like, look, I'm going to speak to you in a way and in a language that you'll understand. And so the lessons that they learn from Jesus, then they're able to apply. They're able to gain confidence to share that good news. When Jesus ascends to heaven and the rest of this ministry is up to them, they are now equipped to be able to go out into the world and do it. And part of the cool thing is the connection that we have to our Old Testament, to hear some of the stories of Isaiah, to know that there's this this waiting. They've been waiting in darkness. And so the people who sat in darkness have now seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned upon them. For these disciples, Christ is that light. They're able to recognize through John the Baptist, who's pointing, like, this is the one we got to follow. They're able to see that this is the Son of God. This message about the kingdom of heaven is one that's going to help them. It's going to lead their way. It's going to be the the thing that they've been waiting for, even if it's in methods that they hadn't expected. And Jesus asks them to repent, to turn from the ways of sin, the ways of greed, the ways of selfishness, the ways of thinking uh, above others and saying, well, I'm better than you. He's like, no, 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 put that aside. I want you to see that God has created all of us and that instead we look to the light. It's a message that I think we receive in similar ways to this day. We we witness plenty of, of darkness in this world, but as a church, yet we're called to be a beacon of light. You know, sometimes, and maybe I hear it more just because I'm so involved in some of these conversations about the church and the future of the church, but, you know, there, there's all these conversations about, ah, oh, the, the church is dying. 
And yeah, there, there's some inst- uh, instances where institutionally, yeah, that's correct. We're, we're seeing old models of, of the church aren't, aren't going to be able to function the way they once did. But what I hear in that often embedded is this message of fear, that there's fear and there's darkness and there's hopelessness. And sometimes, unfortunately, even the church gets sucked into that feeling of despair and scarcity and saying, yeah, we don't know what's, we don't know what's going to happen next. But in the world, I believe that the church actually has a really important calling, that we have a really important message to share more than ever, that we get to be the messengers of hope, that we are the ones who are going to be the leaders who do step in and help our neighbors understand that when you're in crisis or when you're in a time of need, that the church is the place to turn to, that we will love our neighbors no matter what. And instead of cowering or being afraid of this change, what if the church embraced the reform that was needed? Not to complain about it, to, but to actually put our trust in God that where we're going, God goes with us. As I've been reflecting on what faith has been doing, and we, we just had our annual meeting between services, I think about some of the things that are happening in this church. We are united in a shared ministry of our time, our effort, and even in our money. And I, I think about what a blessing this past year was to be able to see a congregation financially stable growing towards the future and knowing that that's not how it is how it is in all places right now we are able to look ahead and we know that we are called into what's next as a church we get to continue investing in our staff and in our volunteers and being able to you know collective collectively do this ministry together of service of putting our voices together in song of proclamation of learning together and this is all what makes us as a, as a body of Christ stronger. I also find it fascinating that we can kind of look critically at things that our, that our congregation can do and being stewards of creation, stewards of this building and doing the things that our congregation can do. One of the things our council is currently looking at is, you know, we get our XL bill and, and at the end of the year, it was $60,000. And we're like, wow, that's really expensive. Maybe we could figure out some ways to cut some costs there. So we're looking at maybe this is a chance for us to go, go forward with some solar panels and be able to, reduce those costs and save money that's going to make a difference for years to come. And all of these questions and all of these opportunities that that we get to look towards and think about, I think is going to spark some better questions about like, how will this affect our neighbor? Like, how will the things that we do in this church allow this church to continue to make that difference for the world around us for years to come? I think about the last time our congregation had a pretty significant vote. It happened, you know, about a month before a pandemic hit, and we started talking about, let's have a conversation about creating a sacred settlement, a community of tiny houses that would be here at Faith Lutheran Church. And what started as a really important conversation about what it could look like here actually caught fire in other churches and other communities said, wow, we could do this. And so in the past year, we've seen a settlement established at a church called Mosaic in St. Paul. And now, even just in the last few months, a second settlement has been established at Prince of Peace in Roseville, which for me, this was the congregation that I was at before I got called here. So it was, it was heartwarming to see that, that this spirit of the tiny houses is happening. And they've been able to have uh, this, this open house last Sunday. Yes, I, I was able to attend an open house last Sunday afternoon, which 
seemed to coincide with halftime of the Vikings game. So I was there for a few hours and then had to find out the devastating news. Didn't have to watch it firsthand of the Vikings' uh, ineptness last week. I, I find it amazing how, as a, a church called together, like some of the things that we have been able to do have been able to spark and be a light and a beacon of hope for other places. And so even though a sacred settlement here at Faith might be years away, like we've been able to see how some of the efforts of us embracing our, our chronically homeless neighbors and being able to respond to the needs of, of people has been able to, to carry with it the mission and ministry of this place. And it can make a difference. And I think about how the people who've established some of these houses had to answer a similar call to that, that call that Jesus had of follow me. And in many ways, that tells us that the church matters. The church matters a whole lot. Because of our willingness to be able to embrace creative ways to come across our neighbors and say, I see you and you matter, this is making a difference in our world. And I think it begins at a very young age. This is how our church is able to do this across generations. Our church continues to walk alongside our youngest disciples to let their lights shine. And that might be our ninth graders going on a canoe trip all the way to, you know, Lauren reading this morning, or as we see Lillian come forward and dance, and it warms our hearts to be able to see that in worship each week. And even our three-year-olds who go to Sunday school at nine o'clock and learn from Miss Diane, I just think it's a, a really important way as a church to be able to gather together, to know that we are the carriers of this light, walking with our homeless friends, but also supporting each other in our faith development teaching a fifth grader how to fish and knowing that we are called disciples and we have an important task ahead of us. Sandra Boynton, who uh, makes really fun children's uh, books, had this to say, in a world with so much darkness, offer whatever light you can. The world has enough fear. So let us think about the ways that we're being called to fish. As we fish for people, we can offer something different. I think it's a powerful message and a powerful reminder that no matter what the world tells us, that we get to offer the light. Amen. We hope these words will strengthen you as you live out your daily life. If you would like to know more about Faith Lutheran, leave a prayer request, or financially support our mission and ministry, please go to our website at faithfl.org. May God bless you in the days ahead.